life might hand you budgets, schedules, family, and responsibility. But driving shouldn't be just another chore. We're here to help you find a car you love. Something that fits your budget and your needs, but is fun to drive and makes you look back. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car to Be. I was commuting this morning, and I had a very odd driving experience. Okay. You have odd driving experiences more frequently, I guess. Maybe. I, I mean, look, I'm driving the little yellow Skittle now, so yes, that also are. has changed my driving. And I'm actually going to do a piece. I'm actually going to do a, like a Lotus Lessons piece, and I'm going to talk about all the questions I get asked about <laughs> okay. how do I see out and how do I fit. And Why doesn't it have a V10? Exactly. I don't understand. What's it, what's it like to drive? And it's got right. a very different right. headspace in driving than a lot of cars. I've actually described it as it's a, it's a lot more like driving a sport bike than it is like driving a car sure. as far as your headspace is concerned. You have to kind I'll of think that, in yeah. those terms because you're tiny. You're quick, but you're tiny. But you're driving a helmet. Just about. You kind yeah. of are. Seriously, seriously. But I got on this morning on my on-ramp I like so much behind a Kia Optima who was not going quickly. Sure. Right. Now, two things occurred here that I just don't get. First off, you entered the on-ramp and we did 45 or 50 to merge onto the freeway. Now, when you're commuting and you yeah, enter that yeah. on-ramp with my, from my house, the slow lane is all truckers in the morning oh, on yeah. I-80. Oh, yeah. And they're, all going, they're all going 60 miles an hour, sometimes 70. Look, this is a heavy, loaded-down guy. He can't instantly stop for you. You need to move. Well, yeah. And if yeah. you're my size, you need to move more. <laughs> okay? Right. Because that's terrifying. So we get on... I'm behind the Kia Optima, and I'm, I'm, you know, let's let's get this done. We get on just in front of us. We've barely gotten on in front of an 18-wheeler. Just in front of us is another 18-wheeler. The Optima moves over okay. to pass the 18-wheeler because it's a two-lane part of the highway there. They move right, over past right. the 18-wheeler. I'm staying pass behind them. Pass on the left, right? Exactly. Okay. I'm staying behind them. And we're doing the slow creep that will take us like two minutes to get past the 18-wheeler. Right. I'm staying right with this Optima because the first thing I want to do is get past yeah. the 18-wheelers. Well, then it'll break out into three lanes at some point there. It will. But I just – there's like this line of 18-wheelers, and we, I just want to get past them. Yeah. Just get, oh, that's yeah. my first Always. focus in this car. All of a sudden, we get like two or three car lengths from the Optima being behind the 18-wheeler. And, and I don't know what went through this driver's mind. It's it's almost equivalent to the brake check mentality, which also enrages me. Oh yeah, but That's this no Optima good. suddenly decided that me being behind them was annoying and freaking them out, and they swerved back behind the eighteen wheeler. You're kidding me! To clear the lane for me. Now, please don't get me wrong. It's not like I've gunned up behind them for a mile. I've been with them since before we entered the on ramp. And I'm sure you weren't all over them, but you were behind them. I was behind them because I want to get past the 18-wheeler. But I, sure. I can't push anybody from the, with the Lotus. <laughs> I can no. push no one. Plus, I don't want to get kicked up. Many from, people from, don't know you're there. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. I, I don't want to get rocks and stuff kicked up on the front well, of it. Yeah, so it's not like yeah. I'm kissing their bumper either. But this person, all of a sudden, I don't even know how to describe this. They, they lurched the car so badly, I saw body roll both directions. Body oh roll gosh. one way when they jerked right and body roll the other way when they settled on, back. On the recovery. Right behind the 18-wheeler, oh, no. leaving me the lane. At which point I was like, I'm out of here. But I, I looked at him as I went by like – it's the drastic moves, the brake check, the swerving like this. That's the thing that terrifies me more than anything people drive. And I don't understand where that logic comes from. you got to be smooth. If you're going to do anything, Absolutely. you just got to be smooth. Well, definitely the lesson there is get away from trucks. And for those of you who are the big 18-wheel, you know, the big rigs and the truck drivers, we love you. Yes. But we don't want to hang around you because you can't see cars. I think you appreciate it if we just go ahead and move purposefully around you. Absolutely. 
get out of your blind spots, all that stuff. And there's people who hang out behind trucks. I don't get it. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I, why on earth, earth are you doing this? Or hang out beside a truck. We're right. just cruising along. Get out of the blind spot. We're cruising along. I'm beside an 18-wheeler. I'm going to be here for the next four miles. What oh, are we doing? Gosh. What are we doing? I always try to just get clear, yep. get yep. past, because I look at it as just being cool to the truckers. I, I think so, too. I think it's safer for everybody. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure, look, in defense, I'm sure, two sides of every story, if that Kia Optima driver had a podcast and was sitting here, they'd be telling you about the jerk in the yellow Lotus that was hugging their bumper today. I'm right. sure that's their impression. Of course. But the... The aggressive jerk back behind the 18-wheeler, that freaked me out. And I imagine the trucker was like, what just happened? Because it was <laughs> body roll both directions. Yeah. Drastic moves like that, no place for it. Wow. Wow. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are really excited you're with us. Uh, just ran into Sean from Verizon. Uh, I was at the IndyCar race in Sonoma over the weekend. Yeah, he yeah, came yeah. by and said he listened to the podcast. Thank oh, you so cool. much for listening, man. Good. That's awesome. Really, really it. happy to have you along. And if you see us out somewhere, we're at an event or track day, we love it when you guys come by and say it hello. Is cool. Any input is welcome. You love us, you hate us, <laughs> yes, whatever. Exactly. We love hearing from you, of course, on uh, on email, everydaydrivertv at gmail or on the website. So yep. that's where to write with your own car debate. And then we've got loads of social media questions we again, do. which is great. Thank you guys again. We always thank you, of course. But, man, it's it's always so great. So lots of fun there. And we're just going to dive right in with a couple of car debates. For sure. Definitely. Frank in Arkansas. He's near Little Rock. And we've also got Mark. I'm not exactly sure where Mark is, but he's got an interesting debate as well. Absolutely. And, uh, and this will be fun because we've got to leave so much room for the questions at the end. Tons so. of questions at the end. You know, while we're talking about interaction with you guys right up front, I do want to say this. As Paul said, thank you, because we are actually reading all of it. You, you may have noticed on our last podcast. Our eyeballs are yeah, seriously, falling out of one, our heads. One of us is reading all of it, which is, which is cool <laughs> and important to us. And as you saw in our last podcast, you heard us talking about conclusions. That's an important piece of the puzzle for us as well. We like hearing your conclusions oh, yeah. of what you bought. We're going to try to do better about sharing those regularly. Because <laughs> you and I go, hey, remember that person from this – Oh my gosh, I recommended that and they yeah. got this and yeah. that's so fun. It's so cool. Yeah, so we're glad we can share that. I do want to say this to you. Thank you to all of you that have rated and reviewed the podcast. We really appreciate it. I'm going to ask one other thing though. Even if you've already rated the podcast, we've realized there's two kinds of people when it comes to podcasts. There's the folks that listen to many, many, many. And then True. there's the folks that have never even heard of a podcast. And there seems to be very few people <laughs> pod, in the middle. What? Seriously, it's the weirdest thing. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've talked to people, thank you, listen to our podcast, but we're like one of 20 that they listen to. And they don't, it's not like every episode of every one, but there's lots of podcasts they follow. There's lots that I follow. But sure. then there's other people that are just, they don't listen to a single one. So my comment would be, if you know other people that listen to podcasts, we would love for you to pass this one on, especially if they're car people. We'd love for you to be sharing stuff because that just helps us. Yeah. So your reviews help, your shares help. We thank you for that. And we know many of you are doing it, so we just wanted to appreciate it. Let's talk about Frank's situation in Arkansas. One of the things he brings up here is he's asking about the airbag recall. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's asking about, would we avoid a used car that is included in the recall? And my short answer is no. Just get it fixed. Okay. I've got a counterpoint to that. Okay, please. And it's because of the having to fix it. It's one thing. And he goes on in in here in his email and saying, you know, the, the airbag thing is an issue. Mm-hmm. But right now, he, he gives an example as part of his car debate here. He's looking at a couple of Mercedes, a couple of, of BMWs that are affected by this recall. But he says that the parts to replace the airbags do not seem to be available or will be available in the near future. There's a backlog, for sure. So for you're sure. waiting, you're not sure, and you're driving around scared, so it affects your driving habits. 
And if the parts are available, well, sure, yes. But that's part of your due diligence. And yeah. that's what he's done here in his email. He's checked with the dealer. And I agree. If you can get it fixed, do so. Because don't let that prevent you from getting the car you really want. I think that's true. However, it depends on the parts availability. It depends on yeah. cost yeah. and your time. Because I always look at things that happen to a car. Like, okay, cars can be replaced. Tires, wheels, yes. Money, yes, that's a problem too. But then you and I and everybody... You don't get paid for your own time to go to the place to get the windshield it's repaired. The and yeah. It's that time out of your day yeah. that yeah. nobody's sure. paying our time for yeah. that. So that's what kind of annoys me at the most. So if you can and it's convenient, great. If not, I it does affect me, and I would say no for that reason. Interesting. Okay. However... He's got uh, a consideration of a lot of cars here, and part of it is the airbag recall. Part of it is the sports sedan. He said uh, he, he a few months ago he's deciding to be interested in a sports sedan, and he sh- he saw our show in Velocity, which was which great. Is awesome. Yes, thanks for joining us from there for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So he found us on YouTube. Really enjoyed the FRS review, which is great, and now he's listening to the podcast, which is a podcast is invented by technology that doesn't exist. The iPod. Just yes. like the 3.5-inch floppy disk drive is the save icon on it's Microsoft the, Word. It's the icon for save, even though nobody's seen those yeah. discs in a decade. Yes. <laughs> on and on and on. All right. So he's got a Toyota Tundra. That's mm-hmm. his daily, which is not going away. Mm-hmm. He's also got a 2017 Honda Accord EX yeah, for his car. wife. Good car. Yeah. And his daughter has a 2014 Camry. Mm-hmm. He's also got uh, Camrys in his history. For sure. A lot of Toyota product. Sure. <clears throat> a couple of Pre-i. Frank, that would be the plural of Priuses. Yes, it is. And I would actually like to call out and congratulate Paul because Paul was saying Prii before uh, Toyota decided to call them Prii. So that is clearly the plural well, of Prius. I don't yes. feel like. Is there money? Is there a bag no? That's of gold the thing. You're not. You're not getting award? paid for that. But no. I just. I'm giving you a pat on the back for actually being ahead of the curve on that. Maybe one. Yeah. a couple of candy bars or something. Possibly, yeah. Anything. I'm open. All right. So yeah, a lot of Toyota product. Highlander, Toyota Solara. 99 V6 Toyota Solara. <clears throat> Which he said he really liked. Yes, and that's, I agree. That's a I car that at least... gravitated towards that. I agree with you. I agree with you. But he said that's a car that really was a car he loved driving. So that's an interesting bar that we have to get over, which I don't think is all that high of a bar, but it's interesting anyway to me mm-hmm. that that's the one car in his lineup where he says, this is a car I just loved driving. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because nothing else on his list of car ownership is stuff that he has that connection with, but that car did, which I think find fascinating. And I also think it's interesting he's jumping off of this. He's got a budget of about fifteen grand total to get a sports sedan, and he's gravitating mostly toward Mercedes or BMW used cars. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think it's interesting you're wanting to branch out in that regard in spite of the fact that you have this Toyota history. You're looking for a German-bred sports sedan mostly. Yeah. And I actually am going to go sniper shot on this. Are you? I, I had one, but then I thought I wanted to add one. So. Okay, that's fine. There's a, a bit of a twist in here. There's always a twist. Of it's course. It's not a big hairy it's dog. Detailed. It's cycling. Mm-hmm. So he is a cyclist, and he wants to be able to put his bicycle in the back mm-hmm. and be able to take it various places. But the other big thing here is he used to have a six-mile commute, and now that's turned into a 200-mile round-trip drive to Little Rock every at least every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. So commuting definitely is an issue. So yes, fun, but he's still got to you know deal with yeah. commute, yeah. mileage, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we've got to take that into consideration. I'm really interested in hearing your sniper shot, though. Well, I mean, I would say on the bike thing, and, and I will say this as a guy that is becoming more more obsessed with biking. Bike Which racks, I love, by the way. Bike racks are awesome. your friend. 
Uh, oh, and, yes. And, and yes, you, yes. Can, you can get, and I'm not talking about the roof racks. I get that the roof racks you may not want to do. You can get that aftermarket trailer hitch that goes on just about anything. And mm-hmm. you can hide it pretty well, and you can put the big, nice bike rack on when you want. Or you could – I even had that uh, – I can't remember the company right now. Saras, I believe it was. It's kind of a foldable plastic bike rack I could put on the FRS now right. and then. That even works. But but you and I both have the trailer hitch one. Yeah, the trailer and, hitch. Plug it into the trailer hitch. And they're, and they're totally amazing. Awesome. But you can pull that off the trailer hitch, and so yeah. it's just the end of the trailer hitch sticking out of your bumper, and you could put it on anything. In fact, right around the time I was selling the FRS, I discovered a product that somebody was selling. This is not an endorsement. I just stumbled upon it and thought thought it was interesting, where you could actually bolt a trailer hitch to the back of the FRS using both of the back tow hitch ports. Oh, yeah. So you torque torque a bar. Horse trailers, but just for light. But for a bike rack, it's perfect. You torque a bar into both, because there's two trailer hitch ports on the back of an FRS and a lot of cars. You would would just pop off the, the caps torque the actual bar into the trailer hitch mounts. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I mean, the tow hitch mounts. Right, right, right. And now you put your trailer hitch on there that is, you know, it's, it holds a few hundred pounds, which is your bike rack and your bike, and you're done. So I don't I don't know that that should be the deciding factor here. You've said that your wife ruled out the, the Golf GTI, doesn't really want you to have a hatch. So we're talking sports yeah. sedans, truly sports coupe kind of feel as well. And I'm going to go one place because you've talked about how you like – the 135i BMW. Yeah. You've driven a 2011 335. And that got me looking. Okay. And I wondered, could you do it for 15 grand? And you can. My friend, you can find a BMW 335iS for 15 grand if you shop smart. The hot one. That is the just under the M3 of that generation. Yeah. And it's turbo, so it has far more torque kind of normal, usable power than that big V8, which is okay. really cool. And it's you've already considered the 335 anyway of that generation. So just go IS. What kind of mileage car. are you finding at that price range? I'm curious. Uh, they're fairly high. I mean, it, but they're under okay. 100 still. I mean, it's, I was finding like okay. 75 to 90. Okay. okay? That's still, that so that's still fine. Exactly. So like. that's acceptable. I mean, it's not like everything's got 150 at that point. But the IS is a car that you're not going to find very many of. We hmm. loved driving it. Hmm. It's all the BMW you're hoping for, but it's better than the 135, better than the standard 335. I just I landed there and went, why keep going? It does touch in on uh, on the BMW Mercedes, That's his what German he's car intrigued by, you but know, yet, pursuits here. But yet go yeah. you know go 200 miles in that car and get out happy. That's true, and it's it's the hot one. And uh, what year did you say? That uh, that these cars you're looking at, I'd have to look to see what the year range was, honestly. Like but mid 2000s, I mean, specifically looking. There? No, I mean it's they they've been since we've been doing the show, so it's it's the 2013 ish range. You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's that range because okay. that's about when we drove it. So they they were at the back end of that E90 chassis or E92 chassis. It was the back end right. of it. The last like couple of years they made the IS. I'm getting that a bit wrong as my dates, but that bit was it was late in the run. Refreshes front end refreshes as I recall, but it was late in the run. And it was the car that made us wonder about what's the next M3 going to be because we'd driven the E92 M3 and that E92 335 IS. We drove them within a couple months of each other. Mm -hmm. And that made us Mm -hmm. really wonder about the next M3, which, of course, is now turbo and all of that because that V8 in the E92 is awesome but naturally aspirated and it's best in almost a track situation or Audubon situation where you can get the revs really, really high. Mm -hmm. Sure. But but we liked the 335 IS so much because it had that mid-range punch. 
which we just loved. Hmm. And, and they are this cheap if you shop smart. That's the thing. That is amazing. Well, we know that you know the luxury cars drop off there. So I'm intrigued by this. And I like your bicycle rack idea. I want to go in a completely different direction. Of course, you all knew this was coming, Great. right? I'm glad. I'm glad. I had a friend that I uh, worked with a while back. He was a cyclist as well in California. Okay. And he had this car that he loved. Now, he was a small guy, and so his bike fit really well. So, you know, bikes for you and I, would be taking the seat off and the pedals off and yes. both wheels. Uh-huh. And, you know, the frame might not fit. Cars and Comments asked if I was <laughs> going to put a bike rack on the Lotus, and I don't even know how to begin. I'm sure there's a, somebody's done a tow hitch at some point, but I don't even, even know how to begin. Even if just for the photo op, yeah, it'd exactly. be worth it. Exactly I don't right. actually do that. I don't but, actually yeah. drive around yeah. like this, but just the photo alone. So he had this car, and I just I, – as soon as you said cycling, Frank – my mind went to this car, and I looked him okay. up, All right. and I thought, all right, if you don't want to do the bike rack idea, you could consider this a hatch, but it has kind of a sedan feel and look to it. The other part that is very debatable is the enthusiast nature of the car. Mm, we cannot okay. put it at the high end of okay. GTIs. Sure. However, that might not be a bad thing because he's already a fan of Toyotas, yes. and it's a Toyota product. Okay. okay. All right. And... It is hatch-ish, hatch-ish, but, but not. Qu- it's it's hatch-ish. Is I don't it, know this how our, to is this our shirt for this. Hatch-ish, and it's a noun, and it says it's cooler than a station wagon. It's hatch hatch-ish. cooler than a wagon. That's hard to not say, by the way. Quite a sedan, okay. hatch-ish. And I I just remember this car, and I, I've always associated this car now with cycling for some okay. reason. All right. And then I think, you know, I watch the Tour de France and I see the wagons and they've got all the sure. bike racks and, yeah. you know, the support vehicles. I love that kind mm-hmm. of look. So it's wagony, hatchish. Have you, have you <laughs> been able to guess this car yet? I haven't, but I'm very curious. It's actually a Lexus. It is oh. the CT200H, ah, I, I which we have never talked about or very rarely talked yeah, about. Yeah. But I'm taking into consideration your love for Toyota products, sure. the reliability, sure. and this 200-mile round-trip commute. Mm-hmm. You want it to be mm-hmm. comfortable, yeah. small, yeah. fuel-efficient, Yeah. but then it's it's the cyclist car in my brain. It's just stuck because in there for the some reason. I see how you got there. So and, you and because you had back. a buddy that had one. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I and it's that. kind of elongated. You fold the seats down, mm-hmm. plenty of room for bikes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just intrigued by this car for his needs. Mm-hmm. And not that he needs a screaming, you know, STI or an Evo or sure. something that is, you know, in nowhere in the email here is Frank tracking cars or. That's true. You know, That's maybe true. even doing high spirited canyon runs on a daily basis. And I do get the vibe he wants That's to. That's why I went there. Yeah, I get the vibe he wants something that feels a little bit more luxurious than the stuff he's had. Right. Which which I see how you got there in that regard as well. Yeah, it's that's an cool. odd beast. I see that. Okay. And I just, I'm intrigued with this car. They built it since 2011. And so I went hunting from okay. 2011 to 20, about 2013. I'm finding these cars with 60,000 miles for bang on 15 grand. Cool. $15,000. Excellent. White, red, well-maintained. Okay. They've got the premium package, all this stuff, seat comfort package, whatever that is. Hopefully they're comfortable right out of the showroom floor. You, but you hope so. You hope you wouldn't have to buy extra oh, seats to make them comfortable. Oh, we're sorry. Oh, yeah. you don't want the spikes sticking in your back. See when you the, buy the, the last gen Evo and, Why didn't you and tell find us? that mistake. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because Mitsubishi didn't get that memo. Exactly, they didn't. Clearly. So CT two hundred H. There's a load okay. of them for sale. I'm just wondering if that might fit the bill here because uh, it fits in. It's Lexus, a little bit nicer, a step up. 
I'm just thinking. Okay. All right. But it's not quite the, the debate here is it's not the enthusiast. I was going to say focus ST, but that sure. might not be as comfortable for the road trip part. So oh, we wouldn't be back wouldn't and be. forth on the, and it's yeah, way more fun, but yeah. And let's be honest. We love the ST, but it's a tiny car. Yeah. You're not getting a bike inside a Fiesta T. It's not happening. Yeah. So that is, that is the hard part there as well. I mean, I, I don't agree. know that getting it, the bike inside is paramount here. I really think there's ways around that a- animal, but Hey, the Fiesta is just little. It just is. Oh, yeah. A few more questions from Frank here at the last end of uh, his email here. He's asking about doing research on specific models oh, and sure. pre-purchase yeah. inspections, or do we just rely on our own experience, no. or do we mostly <laughs> buy from dealers? Well, Todd takes his Elises to Rolls-Royce dealers for yeah. his pre-purchase That's inspections. That's who knew how to do that. Look, <laughs> I did not want to do that. I, I Honestly, it felt <laughs> I weird. I had to tease you a little I know bit. you did. It felt weird for me just to call a number and have a person answer, <laughs> Rolls-Royce Orange County. And I thought, I'm in the wrong place. I'm sorry. And then I had to kind of like control myself and be like, what am I doing? Seriously, I shouldn't call you. But then I had to kind of control myself and be like, no, 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 no. They sell Lotuses. Stay with it. Lotus Tech. I have to get to the Lotus Tech. But seriously, they answered that question like, this isn't me. Anyway, yeah. uh That was really funny. So yes, we do research all of that, Frank. We do pre-purchase inspections. I didn't in the case of my Cayman because it was CPO. So that is the it exception was, in my mind. It, it, in your car experience, it's the exception. Otherwise, yes. you have. The yes. car was so new, and because of CPO, all of Correct. the things about it made you, if you will, roll the dice on it. But I would say it was even a very strategic dice roll where you knew how here's what's been done to the car. You had were able to get records from the dealer where it was bought. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. you, you kind yeah, yeah. of – if this makes sense, you kind of had information that caused the pre-purchase inspection to be null and void. You kind of would have had the info. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it because they did the maintenance. They had the records, all that stuff. It was purchased from that dealership absolutely, there. Absolutely. You know, all that kind of stuff. So that negated the the need for that CPO or but the I, pre-purchase But I would inspection. say in general, Frank, especially – Especially if you're not – well, no, I would just say in general, pre-purchase inspection, unless you can figure out a reason why you know so much of the history, it's not important. Mm -hmm. I was able to dig into the history of the Lotus I bought like crazy, and I still got the PPI and paid the money because I wanted to know what am I getting into. We do not – neither Paul nor I claim to be mechanics. No. And look, no. I can I can take off a wheel and I can tell you how the brakes are. I can tell you that but we can change a spare tire in a jiffy. We can. We're good uh, at that. But you know, I you know, wheels and tires, brakes, these kind of things, shocks, this is the kind of stuff we've done. But as far as really looking into everything, the other thing about it is the pre-purchase inspection is something that can get done faster than you can do it. That's the other thing I like about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can just take yeah, it yeah. somewhere, they can put it up on a lift, which I wish I had but don't. And they can just tell you rapidly, here's what's up. And you kind of get a sense for, honestly, you get a sense for what it's going to cost you if you buy the car. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to need tires in a couple months. Oh, I'm going to need brakes in six weeks. You know, these are the things. That's the thing that really helps you more than anything. That's the info. What's coming down the pike. Exactly. Because that's much more likely to come out of the pre-purchase inspection than a huge revelation. Rarely do I think somebody gets a pre-purchase inspection car and they get it up on the lift and they go, oh, my gosh, there's this. <laughs> what are that you happens, thinking? That happens, but I think if you find something that big, you kind of have to walk away. The transmission fluid is chocolate brown. Yes. What are you doing? Exactly. <laughs> but but uh, So those are the kind of things, obviously, that allows you to walk away. It gives you some, some reason to walk away. But I think in general it kind of informs you for how's the car been treated and what's it going to need, and I am a huge believer. Frank, thank you so much for writing in. Let us know what you end up getting. And uh, like I said, if you've got your own debate, Everyday Driver TV at Gmail or the website, everydaydriver.com, give us a quick break and we'll be right back with the next debate and listener questions. 
Want to know why Attack Each Day was on top of the iTunes charts in its first week? What the hell's going on around here? I ripped my headphones off, spun around, and flinged them. I turned around, and my dad is like three inches from my face. And he said, go get them. Gentlemen, we're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Hear Jim Harbaugh, Jack Harbaugh, and JT Rogan share their stories every Tuesday on Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, and PodcastOne.com. Geico presents Unhelpful Home Improvement How-Tos. A slippery bathroom floor can result in expensive hospital bills. So today, I'll show you how to cushion a serious fall by filling your bathroom with thousands of plastic balls. Just nail a piece of plywood across the doorway and dump in 2,000 multicolored plastic balls. You could try to protect yourself with a bathroom full of plastic balls, or you could get liability coverage through the GEICO Insurance Agency. Visit GEICO.com and see how affordable renter's insurance can be. All righty, Mark has written into us with his debate here. This is, um, I think, the most children that we've ever had on a debate. <laughs> Mark and his 10 kids. Yes, yes. And he describes with my only wife of 24 years. It, this, <laughs> Just, this, this is hysterical. It's like I have a first and only wife. We've had 10 exactly. kids together. We have been busy. Congratulations. Uh, but here's the thing. I read that headline. We have a mutual friend. Yes. Who has four boys. Yes. And we, we love our friend Greg. And he's a longtime follower of the show. He's a great guy, but we've joked with him forever because this is a man who's always bought six seat or above cars. Because his comment to me pretty early on was It's really funny. Look, if any of my kids want to bring a friend, we've got seven seats instantly. We're filling seven seats. So their entire shopping He's reality not has wrong been that. Without no, line of thinking. Absolutely. I, I see this is it's the reality of his life. Reality. I totally right. get it. You're right. So if you have ten kids, guess what? You own a bunch of vans. You just <laughs> not do. One. You own multiple vans, or you pull off the Sprinter thing that you can get 12 or 15 people in at once. But that's madness. You're car shopping. You are no longer car shopping. You're just right. van shopping. Why is there an airport shuttle always parked in your driveway? Exactly. Well, that's that's my car. Exactly. I don't work for them. I, that's that's our family car. Yeah. We, we know a guy here in Park City that drives a loaded out every row Sprinter van. Because he and his wife, they have a couple of kids, and I know him because uh, his his son is a friend of my son. So that's how I've met him. But the thing that's funny is he drives his Sprinter van, and he loves it because they are the family in their neighborhood that whenever they go anywhere, all the kids come with them. Like all the neighborhood kids come with them. So they love it. So they have the Sprinter, and it's great. But what's funny is this is also his daily so there's multiple times that he's going up and down the canyon on I-80, and it's him in a 15-passenger Sprinter oh van. I'm just like, really? But anyway, the great thing about Mark's situation here is kids are starting to go to college. Yeah. So he's starting to shop for smaller, more fun cars. We're past the everybody in the van stage, right. which makes this really cool. Right. No, I agree. So as uh, Todd is saying here, logistics were always Mark's primary focus. And in the last couple of years, his oldest is now married, moved out, and then the next two drivers down needing transportation. So using the family vans less and less that is plural because <laughs> there have been uh, multiple here we go 2006 chevy express 3500 van <laughs> a 2004 chevy silverado extended cab z71 and two honda odysseys yes not one but two odysseys we've got a lot of people to move got a lot of people to move yeah we do so he's always wanted a porsche he's been looking at the 996 generation and then he did mm-hmm. he got a wimbledon green 99 
9-11. Congratulations on a yeah. beautiful car. Absolutely. Very cool. Good and then you. in keeping with the, we're going nuts theme, the kids are moving out. <laughs> he bought his wife an 06 Porsche Cayenne Turbo S. Uh-huh. <laughs> bought that for his wife. Yep. Two Porsches in three weeks. His yard is a parking lot now. Yes. <laughs> so he loves the Porsches. He's done full service, and he's really enjoying himself. However, the vans are falling apart because, mm-hmm. of course, they've been on the run. They've been the the Odysseys the have been the workhorse. Vehicles Absolutely for yeah. his three oldest driving kids, and now he's wanting to replace them or it, at least the 2002 Odyssey, with something practical and fun. So a sedan is a must. That means four doors. And here is Mark also considering German cars as well. Which Going I'm quite doors surprised by. Because he's got two people, two young adults that he's going to be teaching mm-hmm. to drive and mm-hmm. you know needing insurance on. But because he's get, getting rid of, I think, only one of the Odysseys, he, he doesn't have much to work with. He talks about the 2002 Odyssey is definitely falling apart. He's saying his budget is 8000 or below because he actually thinks that uh, the Odysseys are worth less than that. So it sounds like it gets a little unclear yeah. here about whether both Odysseys are going or not. I'm a little <laughs> tax write-off donation. That's a, that's a, school that's a project, weird sentence. But you know, we do still have. You know what? Take heart because we <laughs> do still have the Monster 2006 Chevrolet Express 3500 van and the Monster Silverado. So we so theoretically, our friend Mark here could sell both Odysseys. But no matter no matter which ones are going and staying, the truth here is we're looking for a sedan. Uh-huh. For young drivers with less than eight grand, and hopefully, it's a little practical and a little bit fun. I have my winning car. Do you? But I have other suggestions first to discuss that are contenders. I have three, actually. Okay. All right. I've got three, and then this winner. Okay. I, All right. Good. I think good. this could be good, the good. car. So I'm going to dive right in here, Mark. I'm liking your German car proclivities here. You're shocking. Thinking. Shocking. Starting off with an 06 BMW 330i for ten grand. Okay, it's me, so I pushed on your eight grand budget just a little bit. Shocking, just a touch. Here we go. 2004 Mercedes-Benz AMG E55 for ten grand. With the kids are driving that. Well, that's that's what I thought. As soon as I saw this car, I thought, that's it. Oh no, yeah. he's got young adults to insure. Yeah, never mind. It's like strapping a 16 year old to a bomb. <laughs> Good luck, honey. Love you. Love you. Have, Have a fun. great day at school. You know what? Do me a favor. Try to only break the tires loose in a straight line. Exactly. Otherwise, you're fine. Exactly. That led me to an 06 Pontiac GTO. But same problem. Bigger. Yeah. Possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. For eight to ten grand, I'm thinking. You could find them, for sure. Possible. For sure, yeah. But I've just, I'm so quickly getting to my winning car. This is it. The sniper shot. Okay. Also Lexus. Really? It's a Lexus okay. type of day. I, good for you. First generation Lexus IS300 built from 1998 to 2005. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. I found boatloads of them for $8,000. And they're cool cars. And they're cool. They're genuinely cool cars. I think from an insurance standpoint, they're going to be fine for young Probably drivers. Probably nothing, yeah. From a power standpoint, they're not going to be overwhelming. Agreed, agreed. But front engine, rear wheel drive, some of them came in manual transmission. Mm-hmm. They're but a the good cool size. the cool clock face gauges on them that yeah. was very fun. Yeah, yeah, that was a unique little car. That's my car. Is the okay. Lexus IS300. First gen, go all the I way like back. That. I like that, yeah. But yeah, I just I liked them. They're compact, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think this could work for your family. I really do, Mark. So that's that's my I'm landing there. 
Okay. I'm on I that have, car. Good. I have three. I have three sedans. All right. I stayed away from German cars. Okay. Only because <laughs> seriously, only because look, you you don't have German car history. You've just bought the uh, the two Porsches. <laughs> well, there is that. Mark, I'm going to be completely transparent with you here. I I think that 911 996 is just going to run. I I hope and pray your Cayenne Turbo S is reliable. But the yeah. 03 to 06s, especially the big boys, are sometimes money pits. Yeah. So I will say this to you right now. Make sure – I'm going to get a little bit wrong in my description here, but make sure that the coolant tubes on your Cayenne have been updated because mm. there were some coolant tubes that were plastic on those first gens. And when those go, it takes the engine with it. So there's a really? – and I'm getting, I'm getting my description a little bit wrong. Really? But you take it any Porsche mechanic, they'll know what I'm talking about. It was one of the things they fixed when they didn't make the car in 07 and it came back in 08. Hmm. And the bigger boys were more prone to these coolant problems. So I'm just saying that to you. Look, I, I have also come across people like yourselves that have those early ones in the big turbo and they're fantastic. But those are the ones, the 03s to 06s, that you hear about that people really will never buy a Porsche again because of the that's – well, the, that's the generation yeah. that we're talking about. Okay. So just be careful. I'm thrilled you have it. I hope it runs well for you. But because you've got those two German cars and now you're into German car maintenance, which, again, those Porsches should run. They should, absolutely. As long as you just pay for the stuff that it needs. And I yeah. say find a good independent mechanic. All of that needs to happen. But I also just thought, you know what, let's get cheaper to run – little bit simpler to work on yeah. sedans. I like that. Although he is mentioning in here that he likes to maintain and fix cars. He doesn't mind working on them, which is great. Which that's, is great. That's good. I, I started with an outlier. I think it's an outlier because it's not common, but it is a car that I think brings some genuine fun to this equation. If you really want some genuine fun and a unique car, you can find Mazda Speed 6s for this kind of money. Oh, yeah. So mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. Four door manual transmissions. So Easy manual grand, into the, right? manual into the discussion. They are turbos. Hmm. Uh, they have sometimes had some heat soak issues. That two point three liter that's in there that came out of the Mazda Speed Three sometimes has heat soak right, issues. There are right. ways around that. But we drove it. We liked it. I liked it more than you did, Paul. But you did. It's a cool car, and it's a rare car for the price. All wheel drive, really decent that's a, choice. That's a really solid car. So yeah. Mazda Speed Six. I put it as an outlier because I don't know what insurance on those is like, since they're not common, and since they are turbo and all of that kind of thing. I just don't know. Sure. You have to look. I mean, when insurers eyelashes hurt, you know, oh, the, your your rates are going up. Well, Sorry. just I mean, it's going to be it's going to be the cost the of replacement. Of it's just not a common enough car that I think yeah. cost of replacement might be the reason the insurance is high. But I think, based on age, we're probably okay. So there's that one. In a similar vein, I have to bring it up. It's the sister car in, in concept. Subaru Legacy GT from the mid-2000s. Hmm. Okay, sure. Get it in auto. Get it in stick. Get it in hopped-up spec B yeah. form or don't. <laughs> or they're don't. Just, they're yeah. just solid cars. They're interesting cars. They're good to drive, nice chassis. And they're Subarus. That would be pull it into the garage and work on it. Yeah, just do stuff. What does it need? Let's let's do that this weekend. I mean, that's just what that car is. And then you brought up GTO, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to top you with the G8. Oh, okay. Lots of G8s out there. You could go V6 auto for your young drivers and be fine. But believe it or not, some of the GTs are this cheap now. Are they really? Believe it or not, there are a few out there. Eight grand. But Pontiac Sheesh. G8. I mean, look, this is the cheaper, older SS. Full-size sedan. Genuine space there. Not common. 
good cars. Those are my three. Well, yeah. Plus they're four doors and the GTOs really, um, didn't go there. It's a, it's a big two door. Yeah. It's, it's but, large, but I think, but, but I think that Pontiac yeah. GT, come on, that's, that's usable like crazy. Yeah. That, that could G8 really work. could be cool. Yeah. Although same kind of problem, you know, kids, could you just limit yourselves to two burnouts per day? But, it, but at least that comes in the V6 though. Yeah, it does. That, that, it G, does. that G8 did come in the V6. You have that option. So you can just debate that. And they're yourselves. inexpensive now. Absolutely. Definitely. And it's just GM parts. The, the, the body panels are going to be the only rarity on that car. Everything else is just GM Lego. Mm-hmm. True. No, that's excellent. And uh, guys, thank you again. Really appreciate it. We've got so many questions we've got to jump to. So we will transition off to Facebook land here. And uh, there's a question from Nate that I wanted to start off with here. He's asking us a very interesting question. He's asking best engine in search of a car (laughs) and conversely best car in search of an engine. I have two engines, actually, that are looking for their cars. Okay, good. I'm going back. I'm going to the first-generation Ford Taurus SHO. Yamaha engine in that car. Very cool engine. That car didn't deserve that engine. It didn't. Yeah, yeah. It could have been in something cool from Ford. Yeah, I hear you. And the, I think it's an E60, don't quote me on that, but it's the BMW M5 with a V10. That nearly 9,000 RPM F1 derived V10 in the M5. Also kind of cool, but that could have gone in some cool mid-engine BMW. What madness thing could we have put that in? I see where you went. Why did it have to go in that car? Because you think V10, you think Gallardo, you think, well, V12s and Astons, that kind of thing. But a four-door? Okay. Well, and it also was jangling. But that my was but that was senses. the Bengal era too, right? It was. So we also didn't yeah. end up with an attractive M5. Yes. If it had been the cool sleeper <laughs> E39 M5 that's just cool looking and has aged magically with yeah. an engine yeah, that yeah. cool, you would have been like, bring that engine on. True. But True. it was an M5 that was kind of like, yeah, but it should have looked better. And then it has this really interesting engine. I take your point. I mean, I it's do cool, but the whole car just ends up being jarring. It's cool. But then, you know, now yeah. they're getting inexpensive, the they high are. mileage ones. I don't know what that's, you know, what the maintenance like, but I'm also thinking run away from that. But that engine, I just thought, all right, that is a one-off. It didn't mm. go in mm. any other car. That's looking for something mm. cool. I see that. I see that. I'm still working on the other part of the equation, Nate. Well, but Nate, Nate drives a Scion FRS, and I'm just going to call the obvious shot here. <laughs> I mean, look, I love the car. Nate loves the car. He is an autocross monster in it. He's running 235 rubber in all four corners, and he's taking down anybody. <laughs> Pretty much. That is yeah. a fantastic autocross car. You, you guys know from listening that I love the car, but come on. Where is the engine that matches the rest of that chassis? That yeah. is as cool yeah. and interesting as that chassis is. You know, where is honestly? I, I don't <laughs> look. I don't really think the Honda S two thousand engine makes sense in that car. But that was also a really interesting engine. So where's the interesting, cool engine like the Honda S two thousand style engine, like that idea where you're like, oh, that engine's really cool in the eighty six. Where is that? Yeah. Even the even the current MX five is using, if you will, I've realized I'm sacrilege by saying this, is using what I'll refer to as a Mazda crate engine. That engine in the MX-5 is not unique to the MX-5 anymore. It's in the 3. It's in other product from them because it's just their Miata Sky. And their Sky Active engines are cool, actually. They are. They but are. it's just an engine that is in lots of product. It's not like the Miata has a unique engine, which I get the reasons. I understand the accounting. But 
wouldn't it be cool if the FRS <laughs> I'll the, send the you a turbo. I'll mail it to you. <laughs> but if the eighty six chassis just had a really cool engine that, that yeah. was still, and I don't mind if it's still naturally aspirated, just fix the torque dip and come on, <laughs> folks. So there's that's the obvious. That's the low hanging fruit because Nate has asked and I know what he drives. But I'm gonna say this. Okay. What? What about the early two thousands Lexus ISF with that big V eight? What part of the equation are you thinking? The V eight was cool. And that car didn't keep up. The car, not so much. Yeah, yeah. That would have been fun. Yeah. That would have been really cool. I, Is I that the one was... with the stacked taillights or, or the, the stacked tailpipes? pipes. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I never could get on the, board with that. And I remember driving. I remember driving it at a Motor Press Guild track day right after the yeah, N3. Right. And I remember thinking, this engine is awesome. And this chassis is just, just can't compete in this market segment. It's not as good Especially as the N3. Especially as an F. If we're exactly. talking, exactly. we're competing against the M3 and M5. That's exactly the what world, the targets were on. Then come on. And the engine. And here's the thing: taken by itself, it's a very cool car. Taken against right. its competitors, it can't quite keep up as a chassis. But man, the engine was cool. So I will say ISF. That no, V8 I was like fun. That. But rarely can you and I ever say standalone car. That's what you what you should get because of all these other cars that exist. I mean, that's the whole premise of the show. And yeah. what you and I do is. Yeah, that's great. But you know what? This over here, mm-hmm. what you're looking for, it's a nine in that category. And sure. that's why it wins. Yeah. You know, thinking like that. You're yeah. right. The ISF, the GSF. <laughs> I cannot understand this car except, all right, Cadillac's got the CTSV. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But the CTS crushes it. Who buys the the GSF? Because you want the Lexus, but you want hotness. That's why it happens. That's why it exists. But but that's how many but, are they selling? But though? I will say this to you though: you and I are 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 kind of weird animals in that five series class because typically, you and I, that's that's an area, and I, and I will admit our bias here, if you will. That's an area where we're probably not going to shop. We're probably going to go a little lower, get yeah. it smaller, or if we're wanting big luxury, we're going to go for the big boys. Yeah, used. right. Right. And so that middle ground guys, those the five series, the GS, this world is the stuff that you and I don't really personally gravitate toward because it does feel like such a middle ground between small and light or just go big and just luxurious. Just get the thing. But but yeah, I yeah, but yeah. there but no, you're it's a, right. It's a you're price right. point thing though. That's the market segment. It's a price point. You really want the big one, you want some hotness, you can spend this much. Congratulations, sure, let me show you the GS. That's where you wind up there. Or the 5 Series. It's the same thing. Straight this way, sir. All right. What else uh, did you find on the list here? Uh, I want to talk about Steve Urban's question. I don't know if you watched this uh, Infinity Prototype 9 video he sent. I did, yes. So Steve's asking kind of both of us different questions. What the heck is kind of the the headline of Steve's question. And Steve, thanks for writing in and listening as always. Uh, He's asking you some questions from design. He's asking me some questions from film. I'm going to talk about it from a filmmaker standpoint. Uh, this is a um, this is a YouTube channel that that essentially takes the press footage and cuts it into pieces. Mm-hmm. And so right. they've taken all the press footage of this Infinity type uh, prototype nine, and it looks like the old the Silver Arrows. Is that what they were? Mm-hmm. It looks kind of like those the original Audi race cars from the, the Auto Union race cars. Thank and the Mercedes you. Silver. What, what Arrows. was the era of that? What was the was it twenties? Uh, that was forties, uh, late twenties through the thirties. Okay, okay. So I'm yeah. not that far off. So it yeah. it looks reminiscent of that. But it's done modern, and it's supposed to be electric. And I say supposed to be <laughs> because I watch this footage. Okay. There is all kinds of speed ramping going on. There's all kinds of slow-mo where there shouldn't be or high speed where there shouldn't be or actual stuff that's running at real time but made – but the car is going so slowly you think it's slow-mo. 
I don't think this car runs. This is my <laughs> takeaway. It not. It might it's not. supposed to be an electric throwback thing. I think it's been rolled through all these shots. You I do. really do. Maybe been launched through these shots, but I just I don't think it actually runs. I think this is the classic prototype, you know, pipe dream car or if it runs, if it runs, we're talking 40 miles an hour on the high end. <laughs> because there's nothing in the footage yeah, yeah. that shows that it can move quickly. And also, because I'm a geek, I can see how suspension travel happens mm-hmm. to see if suspension travel is happening in real time or not. And I don't think the car ever went over 40 in the entire video. So if it runs on its own power, it still can't go above 40. I think it's very possible because of the way they're using this track that it, they've towed it up to speed and cut it loose. Hmm. I encourage you to watch this. It's on UCAR, and it's the Infinity Prototype 9, which has just recently been released. It's a new direction for Infinity. Let's put it that way. It doesn't relate to anything they're currently doing, but it's but it's it's a new direction. That's what it's designed to be, is a very much a concept yeah. car, one-off. We're setting the future tone. Mm-hmm. If you watch this video, Alfonso Albeza is the design director. By the way, I had the pleasure of meeting him just a few weeks ago at Nissan's design studio down in San Diego. So he had come in. Here's a great example of great design. Alfonso is Cuban. He now heads up Nissan design. And I believe this was shot before they brought on Kareem Habib, who is now heading up Infinity Design. This was done prior to Kareem's tenure. He comes from 20-year career at BMW in Munich doing all the BMW design there. And uh, so he cannot take credit, of course, but Alfonso definitely set the tone mm-hmm. for this. And sure. what I've read is it was as if you found this old car in a barn, but it has new features and new tech, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's setting the design direction for yeah. infinity. Yeah. And he's talking about things like romance and beauty and emotion. Sure. All the things that infinities currently lack. <laughs> in my opinion. Okay. But they're all designer buzzwords, too. Yes, I was waiting are. for him to talk about his mood board. I mean, I really, yes, really they was. are. But I'm actually very excited by this car. And Steve, despite your thoughts about having this catfish mouth, it is bisected in a way that gives it forward motion. It's not just a shape. Fair. Look at that lower front there where the, the bodywork actually intersects it. And therefore, that highlight wraps around the entire car. These are things I would never notice, and I love that you do. That's Instead great. of just the mouth, and then that top section of it, mm-hmm. it's actually canted forward. It leans forward and stands proud mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. over the front of this car and gives it that forward motion and beauty and romance and all those kinds of things. Sleek imagery. So think about this. If you're going to actually tackle this, yeah, you've got those auto unions, the silver arrows, Absolutely. and this yeah. kind of shape, this open-wheel, single-seater mm-hmm. shape. Mm-hmm from that era that just about everybody did beautifully. Maserati did beautifully. Yeah. yeah Alpha, yeah. Ferrari, mm-hmm. you name it. Mm-hmm. They did this shape so beautifully in their own ways. If you're going to tackle something like this, it's got to be different. It's got to bring yeah. a yeah. take that, that tastes like that and feels like that, but it is hearkening back to the beautiful you know, forms, you know, beautiful, solid monolithic forms that gives infinity the next. I'm excited by this. Yeah. I just hope yeah. they can take from this and extract, you know, See, a new design direction from this. This that's is where why I car get, companies do this. I know. This is where I get confused, though, because to me, it just feels like designers fooling around. It just feels like a designer going off leash, 
allowed, by the way, but going off-leash and designing something that doesn't actually have to run or adhere to anything or anything. We're off here in a pipe dream, which is fine. You're a creative person. I get it. But I generally have a lot of trouble going, oh, that's going to relate to – it's not. It's just a one-off. We rolled it through the shot and we're done. It is, and I, you're not wrong, but to make a fully running functional prototype that runs reliably is ghastly expensive. Oh, and it doesn't generally happen. I agree with you. So nor to be able to should it. be I get off a leash like this and have company yeah. approval, this car still probably costs three or four million dollars. Probably. Just for probably. one. Yep. And that's just to get aesthetics going mm-hmm. and okay, it actually rolls and we might be able to tow it and all right, the tech isn't in there, but who cares? We're going to set this in the studio. We're going to take it around the yeah, world. Yeah. We're going to say, hey, look, this is the new design direction. This is informing all of our future products. Sure, sure. That's worth it, in my opinion, from I a design that. perspective I, only. I see that. And from a design perspective, I, I take your point, and I will kind of bow to your experience there. I will only give one example <laughs> in, in rebuttal. Okay. And that is every quote-unquote concept redesign of the Subaru WRX where we go, oh, look, it's amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's sexy. Look at the fenders. And then the real one comes out in a year and we all go, Ugh, what happened to the thing with the fenders and the awesome yeah. with the uh. – And you know the dirty secret of that in car design is that many times that cool concept was done after the production car was already done. <laughs> what if what if we could do it what we was. really wanted to? But we do this, but exactly we can't do that. All right, right. I'm going to lunch. That's the dirty secret because they know they've got to get the production car going, tooling made. Sure. The sure. factory changed over and ramped up to actually make the thing. Yeah, okay. And then they say, all right, designers, your work is done. Go have some fun. Sure. And make what you want it to be and kind of relate it to what the production car is going to look like so we can go sell cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to hit the auto show circuit. Yeah, that's actually the dirty secret. I've become such a you. cynic because I stand there at the auto show and I go, <laughs> "Never gonna happen." I mean, they roll out the thing and they pull off the sheet and I go, "Oh, yeah. it's gorgeous." Move it on. Yeah. Yep. All right. Sticking with the design theme here, Drew V on Facebook is asking, "How outraged should we feel that Cadillac is smashing the ATS and CTS together, yet keeping the ter- the objectively terrible XTS?" Agreed. And then finally, Hyundai's excellent looking i30 and not coming stateside. First of all, with Cadillac. As I just mentioned, none of these car companies are charity organizations. They have to sell product Theoretically, to remain yes. in existence. And their CTS and ATS apparently not selling as well as they hope. Nor so, as well as they should, candidly. Nor as well as they should. You're right. So for product improvement to happen, they they have announced they're bringing two new sedans – these aren't just going away and then not filling that void with anything. They're actually bringing yeah. a new product. So I will say, just chill. Just hold on. Yes and no. I love the CTS and the ATS. Mm-hmm. But we, again, who's buying them? We love them. And then, yeah, that's great for somebody. If you merge them together, do you call it the BTS? Oh, no. But no, seriously, I don't mind them merging those two. Honestly, but I do have a problem with keeping the XTS because A, who is buying this car that is not a livery driver? L. The only ones I swear I ever see are livery drivers. Yeah, it's big fleets buying those exactly. things. Exactly. That's and then, the problem. And then secondly, I, I don't think if you're buying in that class of vehicle, the XTS even makes the list. No, no, it's not even in consideration. So why on earth is that surviving? What I want to know is what's the market that is buying enough of them to survive? Is it the livery driver? Is it China? Who's buying enough of those that makes the XTS? Because you know it's a bottom line reality. As you said, these aren't charities. So what – 
why are they moving enough XTS to keep it around? Because compared to the CTS and the ATS, it shouldn't even be in the same discussion point, and yet it's surviving. Hang on while we call Cadillac and actually get an answer here. Yeah, no, we won't. I agree. I just saw another CTSV. They're awesome. They're cool. They're huge. CTSV and the ATS are very cool, and they just aren't selling like they should. And meanwhile, the yeah. XTS survives? Well, Drew, ah, okay. I will say, if this is now the opportunity to get rid of that stupid Q system, the touchscreen haptics Separate nasty. Problem. Separate problem. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, of course, they could keep the car and replace it, yes. And then finally, Hyundai's excellent i30N. I think in the States that will be the Elantra GT, so we're hoping for the GTN. I will say Hyundai's in a position with the new N brand, Mm -hmm. even though the States will get an N car, whatever that is, at some point. It's not an established, like the motorsports brand from BMW, where it is what it is, or the Ford Fiesta ST. That's not coming. The new one is not coming. True. Okay. Very sad, but yes. But in Hyundai's position, I feel like they're going to be just getting a toe into the pool, and then they're going to be overwhelmed with requests, and then think, you know what? We could make a go of this, release it. Maybe it is the Elantra GTN. Who knows? And go ahead and release it, maybe for the first year, because they're saying no for right now, and I always take that with a grain of salt. Fair. I always Fair. you know, think, all right, you know, your sales numbers and the demand that comes in might change your opinion. They've just got to start building cars, getting them out there, getting in the hands of public, and then yeah. they might migrate in year two or three, or maybe the second generation of that car. But I agree, America needs this car now. But I have to say that in all of these cases, it's our own fault. Because the reason the Fiesta ST is not going to come back here, according to Ford, is the sales numbers don't make sense. Yeah. Again, back to sales. So Hyundai Pesky thing. Does Hyundai want want to bring a motorsports variant to the U.S.? I'm sure they've run the numbers. Do they think they can sell enough to make a go of it? I hope they, they can and do. But that is a big pill. I mean, we look at every year. The super sports cars that we all obsess over and lust after are on are on the list of the lowest selling cars. The GTR always on that list. The eighty six is always on that list. The the exception is like the MX five. But okay, the Alpha Four C, which I realize we have a love hate relationship with on this show, but the Alpha Four C mm-hmm. deserves to live on and it sells, I'm not kidding, hundreds of units a year. Yeah, so yeah. when you when you create a motorsports version of something, that's a hard pill. And this is the reason why, as much as we hate it, the M cars have become more luxurious and less hair on fire because we need to move them off the lot. Yeah, and I'm probably massively wrong on this, but I see America's taste going more towards the CUV SUV part rather than a big sedan. That's the, been the shown. Sales. That's been shown. And sure. then this groundswell of motorsports, fun, inexpensive, fun-to-drive hatchbacks. I would I would love to think. I'm probably wrong, but I would love to think and live in my little fantasy land over here that <laughs> that is a growing segment or that it yeah. would be yeah. bought if they brought it here. But they're big enough that it's not like they're going to lose if they do. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that's a, a loss in terms of the... The company history over the arc fair, of time. Fair. I mean, if they can if they can I, establish I some street cred with the cars, then they could move them. But yeah. but we do have a brand perception problem a little bit. 
both with Cadillac and with Hyundai. You have an image in your mind of who drives those cars. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to get – Cadillac has got to get enthusiasts into their sedans, and Hyundai has to get enthusiasts into their small cars. That's yeah. hard. It's hard, but I hope so. And we as enthusiasts – I will say this as the guy that only buys used cars. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's hard yes. for me to complain about a car manufacturer not making a dedicated sports car if I personally don't spend my money on a new one. Mm. Because I'm waiting for this for them to be old enough for me to buy it used. Sure. I am the heart of the problem. I will acknowledge it. <laughs> this is the this is the thing. We can we can bemoan the loss of the Fiesta ST, but if nobody's buying them, then they're not going to keep selling them. It's yeah. too bad. Yeah, I agree. All right, something else strike you here? Uh, I've got multiple. We could I could run for a while on on some of these. In fact, there's one from Alex where he said, uh, "I think we should revisit this at some point, Paul." Because I think it takes some sit-down time. He said, what's on our short list of must-drive cars? Ooh, and then what manufacturers have we not driven? Through. We I, need to revisit this. I think we should, maybe we should do that as a topic on the next podcast, is just sit down have, with you and I having had some thought and gone, if you're coming in cold, what are the cars you need to drive? Mm-hmm. Now, does this count as cars – Anywhere do they have to be only sold in America? Well, we, I think it what should, are we talking? I there? think it. Sh- I think we should tackle it two ways, Alex. I love uh, Alec. I love this question, and it's on Facebook. I-, I think we should tackle it two ways. I think we should tackle it in reality, meaning there's budget is a thing, less than fifty grand. You, these aren't unicorns. We should cover it that way, and then we should cover it in a just go money no object get in this car. I think mm-hmm. we should have those two lists, okay? Because you know, there are things on both lists. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that would be interesting. So I want to come back to that. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> Shane asked the question about encouraging your employees to do an open track day. I saw this as a team. Does, I was do we think this, this is too. a great idea or a terrible idea? Uh, Shane, I think it's a great idea, but you know what I actually think might be better. I don't know about the open track idea. I wonder about taking your team to a driving school as a group. Because the open track idea is going to bring out ego. It's going to bring out the vast range of people's comfort level <laughs> I got and this, ability. I got exactly. This. Or the person that doesn't want to do it because they're terrified. If you put everybody through the same school day, mm-hmm. then I think it does become a team building exercise where everybody's going through the same exercises. You'll have people that are good and people that aren't, but everybody's going to feel a level of comfort. Everybody's going to have the same level of instruction, and you can come out at the other end of it with with the people that have never done anything, never driven in anger at all, are going to be educated, and the people that think (laughs) they're good are still going to be better. I think it's not open track. I I don't think it's an HPDE. I think it's a take your group through a school. I mean, like here in in Utah, we have the – uh, the Mustang GT experience, like the one day experience there where you do a little bit of everything. You do some, uh, some autocross kind of, kind of braking exercises, some turning exercises, and then they put you on track. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of thing with your group would be great. I think open track thing, I think you're going to find too much of a range of talent and comfort for everybody to come away enjoying themselves. No, I'm with you on this with a slight twist and it sounds a little bit contrived maybe, but Starting with a toe in the pool of a K1 speed, something like that. Oh, karting is fantastic. In Start this with karting yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that's, that's work great. up to that driving event yeah, yeah, yeah. at school because you can kind of gauge the room, test the temperature, that kind of thing. Hey, did you guys like the karting event? Because really where we're going with this is to move it up for the next one to go to a, you know real yeah, cars on yeah. a track 
you know, start with the pizza and beer and carting and we're just hanging out. And, yeah, that's good. You know, that's husbands excellent. and wives can come and all yeah, that kind of good. stuff. Start there. Maybe kids can come to that one, too, with the intent of, you know, a pre-announced intent of, look, we're starting with carting. That's good. That, no, that is good. I've got my eye on this, you know, this driving school for all of us. Then we're going to get serious. I like that revision. That the Because cart, carting is such an easy access thing. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's just... It's easy. Everybody can do it, and it doesn't matter. I mean, there's going to be people who are terrible, and they'll actually find a way to drive the cart up the tire embankment. We're not sure how, inexplicably. But it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's and a then talent. there will be the fast guys, and so mm-hmm. you're competing for lap times, but it's all just fine. That's good. And That's then good. work yep. your way up. Yep. No, under that we have Fosh Jowler. I think this is Josh, our friend Josh. Is it not? Uh, he's asking which is better: parking your car in the shade under a tree with all its droppings. <laughs> Or out in the open with the sun. This is a tough one. It sounds like you're in that exact predicament. And this is honestly like a worst-case scenario for Paul. This is like the classic Paul lose-lose here. Yeah. It is. So I'm going to cheat and say car cover in either case. Yeah, okay. I knew you'd go because there. Because you good. get the UV protection with your, sure. you know, sit in the car in sure. the sun. And it's also going to protect it. You won't care. You can park it under a tree. Personally, I love shade. I try to find shade wherever possible. Yeah. To keep the car cool, it keeps the you know sun off bacon parts. And, yeah, yeah. You know, destroying that and discoloring things. But you know, you might not have a choice. So I'm going to say car cover, and then you win both ways. That's excellent. That's excellent. Um, there's a question here from from Kelvin on uh, on Facebook. I actually like this question because it's it's atypical. He's talking about is it worth upgrading your car for resale value? And then he gets specific. He has a GMC Acadia. Okay, he has the SLE, the lower spec, kind of like I did. He could aftermarket, kind of, or you know, buy GM parts if need be. He could put the parts in it that give it the tech equivalent of the SLT, the higher grade. Mm-hmm. Then can he sell it as a used car for more? The short answer I'm going to say here, Kelvin, is probably not, because <laughs> yeah. if you go, if you, a lot of these places when you post your car for sale, it will ask you the sub model designation of it. And then the people that call you are going to be looking for it to be priced accordingly. Unfortunately, when you upgrade a car, you probably will never... Look, do I think you could do all that stuff and increase the value of your car a bit? Probably a bit, but enough to offset the money you spent? I seriously doubt it. Mm -mm. I'm with you. Yeah, unless you're selling privately. But imagine if you were buying that car and you're looking for a specific model and you settle on that and surprise, you did all these upgrades, but the owner's asking a lot more. Eh, okay, maybe, but I don't think you're going to get your money back out of it. I really don't. And, and when you're doing person-to-person sales, well, certainly selling to a dealer too, but person-to-person sales, the number one thing that happens is that they start giving you the world's most ridiculous lowball offers. How much anger – that's just an anger-inducing <laughs> thing anyway. How much angry are you going to be having put extra money into it and then you still get the lowball offer that is thousands less than you're asking? Right. So I don't – I think it's I think it's a, it's a money pit, honestly. Well, guys, as you know, we just returned from our annual 2017 pilgrimage trip, which was a great success once again. We're ready to go back, yeah. Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. I cannot wait. We're kicking around ideas. We would love to have you. It was, like I said, a huge success, boatloads of fun. White VGC on Twitter is Mm -hmm. asking, will there be a pilgrimage video of this year's trip, and are we doing it again next year? 
Short answer to both is yes. <laughs> the video is in post, and we plan on this being an annual deal. Yeah. So, in yeah. fact, this year we even did some some scouting to maybe try to add Stuttgart and the Porsche and Mercedes museums to next year's version. We're still trying to figure that out and see, see if we can actually line it all up and what the prices would be. But the short answer is yes, there's a video coming. It was going to be a really cool video from this year. We had a great group that went. And, yeah, next year is happening. Guys, thank you so much for all your support, your listenership, and writing questions. Again, debates to the email and any kind of question related to cars on social media. We love that. And, uh, again, thank you so much. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Geico presents eyewitness interviews with inanimate objects. This is Brian Bruno, live on the scene of a recent windstorm, here to describe the event, the chest of drawers. There's a storm howling outside, so I thought I'd stay in and watch a rom-com. Five minutes into the flick, a tree branch slams through the window. Were you hurt? <laughs> I just got a scratch on my chest. Your chest of drawers can't help you in a windstorm, but the Geico Insurance Agency can help you get covered for personal property damage. Call Geico to see how affordable homeowners insurance can be. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection. A new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do the things like lock the doors or set the thermostat when you leave. Even close your garage door from virtually anywhere. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com slash podcasts to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.